Happy Mother's Day. Please be seated. Gregory Jean Warren, you get over here right now. I knew when my mother used my full name that I was in serious trouble. She had sometimes spat her out right before the names of my siblings, like searching for it, just Scott, Jennifer, Greg, before she finally would get to my name. And we all knew that if we heard our full birth name, we were in trouble. Now, not many people outside of my family, and well, now you all, know my full name. Now, knowing someone's full birth name offers a certain kind of intimacy with them, a certain closeness that goes beyond the casual interaction of just knowing a first name. My mom and dad named me, so they both clearly knew my full birth name, but, but I don't recall my dad ever calling me by that full name. It was always mom. Now, in today's collect, which we just read, it sets the tone for a similar kind of intimacy with Jesus, I think. It said, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name. So Jesus doesn't just send out a blanket call, kind of divine email, if you will. But Jesus speaks to us each by name. And we are to follow where he leads. You see, intimacy starts with God, not with us. And he calls us, and he leads us. And in John's gospel... The reading also calls us to respond and shows us how to respond. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. We are to hear Jesus' voice and we are to follow him. We believe because, as we heard, Jesus' works testify to his claim to be the Messiah. Today's gospel reading that Linda just gave us is both interesting and troubling. It's interesting because of some of the strange details that John gives us. We're again in Jerusalem. You see, in the Gospel of John, we spent a lot of time in Jerusalem, and a lot of time at festivals. And today it's the Feast of the Dedication, which to me meant nothing until I learned that this feast is also known as Hanukkah, which we probably think as the Jewish counterpart to Christmas, and where we see that they light candles and spin tops and eat interesting food and maybe get a gift every day for a while. The feast itself celebrates the Maccabee Rebellion that had pulled out the that had pushed out the the hated Seleucid or Greek overlords. And this happened about ninety years before Jesus' ministry, before what we hear about in today's gospel. And the temple dedication festival celebrated the rededication of the temple after it had been made a temple to Zeus, which would have been anathema to the Jews. So we come forward to this time with Jesus. For the Jews and Jesus to be talking about a Messiah. Meanwhile, under the oppression of, under the Roman uh, oppressors who controlled every aspect of their lives, this had really strong political meaning. To put it in perspective, this is similar to the way we might hear today references to the rise of the alt-right and Nazism that happened about 90 years ago. It would still have meaning in their bones. The thought of a Messiah for the Jews would be exhilarating. Finally, we're free. But it would be frightening as well. And especially because this Jesus wasn't acting like the liberating Messiah that they had been looking for. So they're confused. Make us the second part. Today's, today's gospel is also troubling because of the ways it 
it seems to portray the Jews. Throughout John, the Jews are dealt what might be called a bad hand. And as you may know, this became an excuse for centuries for anti-Semitism, leading up to and including the Holocaust. And even today, the lingering residue of John's words are used to excuse violence against the Jewish people. Did you know the April 27 shooter in the Poway Synagogue in California left behind citations from John in his manifesto? And the same thing for the Pittsburgh Tree of Life synagogue shooter that happened about six months earlier. We still need to be careful when we use John's gospel. Maybe a good way is to help to remind people that Jesus was, in fact, a Jew himself. So the Jews are divided about what they think of Jesus. They're enticed by the idea that he might finally be the liberating Messiah. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Think how, think how that would be such a comforting message to an oppressed people. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You've got to admit, it's a beautiful image. When you follow him, you're in the hands of Jesus. The hands of Jesus. I imagine them for us today still scarred from the crucifixion. They're wrapping around us. They're protecting us. They're shielding us from ourselves, our temptations, our enemies. And the reading ends with what is a primary focus of the whole Gospel of John. The Father and I are one. Now, this is not so much a claim about the personhood of Jesus in relation to God, God the Father, God the Son. That's something that is reserved for Bible scholars and, and seminary students. But it's more about the congruency of Jesus' actions with God. What Jesus is doing is, what is, is congruent. It's equivalent to what God is doing. Jesus says so much in verse 25, The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me. Jesus' work is God's work, because Jesus and the Father are one. Coming forward to us, the works we do in Jesus' name, as we're gathered here as the body of Christ, are the works of the Father, because Jesus and the Father are one. God's closeness to us, God's intimacy, is revealed, and he calls us by name, and we follow now today we heard the beloved Psalm 23 sung. It's one of the most intimate of all the psalms. And in fact, it's the only psalm where we say the Lord is my shepherd. The others say the Lord is our shepherd. It's not only our most familiar psalm, but I think also the most hopeful. The preceding psalm, Psalm 22, we heard on Good Friday. When Jesus' cry of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is among his last words on the cross. Psalm 23, coming just after, feels like a calming, comforting balm after the desolation of Psalm 22. And today, in Easter week four, we are filled with the promise of the resurrection that we saw in Easter. And so we can recite, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He revives my soul. God revives our soul after the darkness that preceded it. 
but it doesn't mean we still won't face challenges. Even in the psalm, we will still walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We'll still dine in front of our enemies. And in this moment of intimacy with God, with my shepherd, we are challenged, I think, to see how much we trust that God is at work with us in our dark times. I think a problem with the Episcopal Church's particular brand of Western progressive Christianity is that we often try too hard to avoid the darkness, to avoid the challenging times. As a result, we focus only on God's love and mercy and goodness. We emphasize Jesus' healing acts and his instructions to walk with our enemies, which is great. It's hard to deny the overarching message of all the scriptures points to love. Even later in John, Jesus tells us, love one another as I have loved you. But this focus just on the good stuff may leave us ill-equipped for the challenging times, for hell scares, for early deaths like the loss this week of the church's beloved Rachel Held Evans, just 37. On this Mother's Day, it may make us unprepared to deal with relationships with mothers that aren't storybooks, that may be marked by distance or rejection instead of warmth and nurturing. I think Psalm 23 gives us the language to deal with darkness, to keep us from skipping over it. We have to go through the valley before we get comforted. We have to eat while our enemies watch before we're anointed like royalty. We have to trust that God is present in the darkness. And maybe God is present because of the darkness. Now, it's Mother's Day and it's Graduation Sunday. And as I wrote this, I was thinking it was going to be a sunny spring morning. I was obviously being aspirational in that thought. So I don't think we want to dwell too much on the darkness. We spent a lot of land doing it. spent Good Friday doing it. I just want us to remember the darkness while we're here in the light. Let's revel in God's grace and mercy and use it to strengthen ourselves for the tough times that might lie ahead. Let's be like the saints who, in Revelation reading that we heard, have come out of the great ordeal. Because we can trust that we too will be washed in the blood of the Lamb. We trust that we'll hunger and thirst no more, that we'll be safe from the sun and the scorching heat. We trust that God, that my shepherd, that our shepherd, who knows us by name, knows us by our full name, will guide us to the spring of the water of life and will wipe away every tear from our eyes. We trust and we believe because we are his sheep and we hear his call. Amen.